It was up there this oh, morning. Oh, I think it's down the front. Did something different that time. We so it was in the. Um, it was in the. the uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I know where it was, but what I'm saying is, when we were importing it, hmm. it would import and delete everything else. Oh. Yeah. But I didn't change anything. No. Obviously, for some reason, that last time it worked. But yeah, we tried See, four, four times. It did it. Which is why we're like, oh, let's go and find someone. Um, that, and so it's obviously doing something weird because it dropped all the songs out of it from, Tree from Thursday afternoon when I had them all in there. So. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> dear, you should have. You should have all the stuff. You should have all the stuff. <laughs> she said, when you live in a motorhome for 10 months, you do anything to get away from each other. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> now let me come over here and see you soon. How you doing there, buddy? <laughs> um, this is Steve and Eileen's last Sunday with us. They're on a journey um, to Levin, is it? <laughs> um, to a beautiful little spot where they'll start a new chapter in their lives. Um, I can't even begin to tell you all how much Steve and Eileen have meant to us as a church. A lot of what you don't see happening in the background, I will guarantee you that, that there are four hands here that have been involved in it making it happen, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's out trying to do some community ministry work, whether it's sewing, whether it's visiting people in need, whether it's fixing any and every technical issue this building has, um, we've relied completely on these two. And so I just wanted to honour you before our church. Um, I want to honour you for, for how much you poured into us. I want to honour you for how much you've loved us and how you've so selflessly served us. Let's give them a round of applause. Now this is this is this is their heart. You know they're moving away, and Steve's like, "Look, if you need me there next Sunday, just give me a call. I'll drive down. No problem at all." <laughs> And, and the problem is, I must probably will do that. But, <laughs> but I want to lift them up to you, Lord. I want to thank you for their heart. I pray for this next, this new season that you have for them, the blessing of finding them a lovely place. 
uh, a lovely community. And Lord, we will miss them. I will miss them dearly. And so I pray, Lord God, that you cover them, that you go ahead of them, that you fill them. We just thank you, Lord, for their service, and we give them to you. Release them in Jesus' name. We pray you bless them. May they know, may they know how much they're appreciated. In Jesus' name, and everyone you said. Amen. Amen.
trying to do something nice for you. Okay, I'll double back, you know. And, and then we kept driving, and the road got smaller, and I started to get internally worried about where we were going. Like the road that. turned into a dirt road, and I can feel Monica next to me. You know, I'm not looking, because I know if I look, I'm in trouble, right? And I can feel like, she's going, where are you taking us? And the dirt road, and starts to, the sun starts to come down. So it's evening, and I'm thinking, where are we? The sign pops up. Welcome to West Virginia. Oh, it got worse. It got worse. Now we're in West Virginia, and I'm thinking, okay, that's west of Virginia. Um, so I'm going to go that way. <laughs> or is it that way? And I'm, I'm just I'm freaking out. But as we're going along, I can see lights up ahead in the trees, because all kind of civilization at this point had disappeared. And I saw lights, and I thought, oh, cool, maybe it's a petrol station or something I could pull in and get some deep. And as I got closer to it, I noticed, you know, the uh, neon lights on it. And then I could see a couple of parked pickup trucks out the front. And it was a pub in the middle of nowhere. And that's when I heard the banjos, by the way. So I floored it. And at this point, Bella in the back is crying. Monica's like, what are you doing? And I just kept going, like, it's okay. We'll get somewhere. Well, sooner rather than later, the road started to pave out again. Next thing you know, we're into civilization again. And sooner rather than later, I'm back on a highway. And most probably took twice as long if I just stayed and waited on the highway. We would have gone home earlier. Anyone relate to that kind of a story? <laughs> well, not the whole way, yeah. It's interesting because I think, I think when it comes to us as people and our interaction with God, uh, there is a lot of us who just kind of pave our own way in life. When God wants us to stop, We'll find a detour. We'll find a way to get to that end, you know. We kind of map out our own way. And it's this journey that God's trying to kind of keep us on this track, and we're just trying to figure out better ways to go on that track, right? It's a sense of um, ownership. It's my life. I I know what to do. I know how this is working. I'm going to make it work. And then... This story that we're going to be talking about today, this this sermon about the story of people, it's just this interesting relationship that we as humans have with God, the sense of control, the sense that we are in charge, that it's ours. You know, in America, you hear a lot about our rights, and, you know, I have the right to do this, I have the right to do that. We hear it here as well, not just in America. It's, it's, my, it's my life. I can handle this. And for the most times, we're pretty much lost on some back road in West Virginia, thinking, if I just keep going, what's going to happen? The sense that I'm in control, that I've got ownership. Um, Subway is in a battle in the U.S. at the moment, and the battle that they're having at the moment is over the trademarking of one word, footlong. They want to trademark the word footlong because they think their sandwiches, uh, the the word footlong is unique to them. So that no one else in the universe can use that. We call that the ownership of words, right? McDonald's, for example. There was a guy in, in Tennessee named Jim McDonald who had a burger place and he couldn't call it his name 
because McDonald's had trademarked the name. So he took it to court. He said, I can't even use my name on my place. No, because the word is on. There are ideas, thoughts out there, right, that are trademarked, that are patented. We have this ownership of ideas, right? It's this constant battle with humans in particular. It's a history of us owning stuff. Interestingly, when, when the British came to New Zealand, you know, and they, 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 they met with the Māori people, they couldn't understand that the Māori, you know, didn't have this sense of ownership of land. To them, everything had a soul, including the land. The wairua whenua for them. So when the British were like, oh, well, if you don't know the end, we'll own it. And it was really hard for them to understand. What do you mean, owning land? Because that's what we people did. We owned things. We took over. And sometimes we forget in Psalm 24, 1 to 2, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and who live in it, and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. As Christians, we are faced with the fact that we're not called to actually own anything. We're the steward of it. And when we read about Jesus, he even challenges us to say that we, as ourselves, are not our own. The story of people. Now, it's interesting because when we think about this, we think if I don't own it, if I'm not in control, then it's a problem. Let me give you some help this morning. It's actually really good that somebody else is in control. That's okay. So with the story of people, we're, we're on this uh, journey of struggling between control and submission, wanting to be in control, wanting to drive the car, and actually stepping back and saying, God, you drive the car. We are actually called from day one to let go. And the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it begins with, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. In the beginning, God created, but it ends with this verse. Just so Joseph died. And in between these two verses is humanity trying the best it can to control everything. And at the same time, trying to submit to God's will. It's a story and the history of humanity. We live it ourselves today. We acknowledge God as creator and he's in charge of everything. But hey, we're still pushing it. Abraham will give everything up to follow. But then, you know, he's actually doing his own stuff. And his son does his own stuff. And there's this wrestling going on. But actually, actually this is a good thing. It means we don't have to worry about the direction we're in. Because he's got it under control. Why do you want that responsibility? God says, hey, don't worry, I've got it. I've got it. I'm there. Right? Eugene O'Neill, in his um, autobiographical play, A Long Day's Night in the Journey, he says this, none of us can help the things life has done to us. They are done before you realize it, and once they're done, they make you do other things until at last. Everything comes between you and what you would like to be, and you have lost your true self forever. 
This is a man who's control and trying to get it right and trying to do what's right. He's driving the car. He's lost in West Virginia. He's not going where he wanted to go. He's not going where he knows he needs to go. And at the end of the day, he's just lost himself. And this is the story of everyone. But there is power in this to let go. Because no matter how much I try to control my life, believe me, sometimes it feels it's completely out of control. It's okay. God, you got it. Steve will tell you the mess that we had to get this service up and running today. He's shaking his head back there. But I know, deep down, as much as I got frustrated, I did get frustrated today, and all this, I know that when it comes to this point, God's gone. And when people walk away, they're all going to be cool. And I'll forget it, because it's okay. God worked. No matter how much I control, Things slip. Famous quote by Princess Leia in A New Hope. I'm quoting Star Wars this morning. You know, she says to General, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the general guy, the guy with the big nose. He, he says to, she says to him, he's like, we're in control. And she says, the more you try to, to, to control the galaxy, the more the star systems will slip through your fingers. And it's true because the more we try to control our lives, the more things tend to slip through. And like Eugene O'Neill's comment here, it actually drives us further into the backwaters of wherever it is that we're trying to, away from where we're trying to go. It's this interesting thing within both the Old Testament and the New Testament where God dedicates is focused to one group of people, and that one group of people is this arm wrestle between control and submission. It's, it's no wonder that the name Israel is one who wrestles. You know, we are called to let go. But here is the brilliant thing about God. You know what? Salvation costs you nothing. There is nothing you need to do. There is nothing you can do. You can't control it. He's done it. He loves you for who you are, with the mess that you've got, wherever you are. And there is nothing you can do about it. He loves you for who you are. Salvation will cost you nothing. He's paid the price. He's done everything. And when we encounter people in need of hope, this is what we tell them. You let go. You can't make yourself right. You can't make things around you right. Let go. Salvation will cost you nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. How hard is that for us to accept? As Christians. Just stop for a moment. Can you accept yourself as you are? Some of you are like, yeah, I can. But deep down, maybe not. God does. His salvation costs you nothing. He did it because he loved you. We saw last week that word, the world, so revolutionary in a nation that didn't see the world outside of it. And now all of a sudden, God says, I don't just love Israel, I love the world. 
But there's another thing that we're called to. We're not just called to let go. That's what God has just called us to be. Just let go. But he's also called us to learn. It's what we call discipleship. It's an ugly word. Christians who have grown up in it, you know, all sorts of different programs out there. Right? I, I know I grew up in a brethren church. Well, I didn't grow up in a brethren church. When I first became a Christian, I was in a brethren church. And it was all about, you know, Bible memorization. I was hopeless at it. It was all about you know, studies and all this, and then there were other discipleship programs. were all about you know, water skiing or something. I like that discipleship program. That's cool. But then they say, that's not the right one. There'll be another program. What we're called, basically, is to learn. That's why God is engaging with us. He wants us to submit. He wants us to let go. And he wants us to learn. The word in Greek that is used in the New Testament is this word called methetes disciple or a follower. The rabbis of old would, would go out and, and, and the ones that were closest to him were his followers, his disciples. They used to use the term in the dust of the rabbi so that when the sandals of the dust that would kick up the, behind him as they walked, the disciples would get all the dust into their face because that's how close they want to be to, to the rabbi. And we're called to do the same in the sense of Jesus. Just take on this, this symbolic way of grabbing whatever we can learn from the rabbi. Getting closer and closer to him. So for the Jews, this wasn't just a decision that you made, oh, every Saturday night we'll have a Bible study. This was every day. Every moment if they could. Many of them gave up everything to follow this. It's interesting because in, in the New Testament, this new word comes out. This word, Christianos, but it was used as a, a negative term by the people around. It's, it's kind of like saying those little Christs, those mini-me's that are um, imitating Jesus, because that's how close they wanted to be to Jesus, that's how much they wanted to be like Jesus, that people started to make fun of them and call them mini-me's. So they literally took that word disciple seriously. They wanted to follow Jesus, so much so that people started making fun of them because of it. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus calling the first disciples. They're there, hanging out, doing their work, and he calls them. They immediately drop everything and follow him. You see, in Matthew chapter 9, with Matthew himself, a tax collector is working at his booth, Jesus calls him. He drops everything and follows him. Whereas with that first section where God calls us to just let go is a word of encouragement. The next word is actually a big challenge because discipleship is bigger than just letting go. Whereas salvation costs you nothing, discipleship will cost you everything. So coming to God and, and encountering God, there it is. But to follow God, to be called a Christian or a Methodist, costs you everything. Everything. And this is the challenge that we're faced with as people of God. Are we willing to give everything up for him? Just after he called Matthew 
verses 19 to 20 of chapter 9, he says this, Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And, you know, we kind of think of, what's he talking about there? Is he going camping or something? No, what he's saying is, I can't tell you what it's going to cost you. I don't know where we're going to be staying. I don't know how you're going to be fed. If you want to follow me, you've got to be prepared to lose it all. Salvation, that's the easy part. I've already done that for you. Here's the difficult part. Follow me. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean to follow Jesus? This is the tough part. One of the reasons why I remember I had this big argument with this old leader of mine many years ago when I was at his church. It was a brethren church, and they wanted to do these baptism classes. And I was like, baptism classes? That's funny. Why do I have to do a baptism class? Well, we've got to make sure that you understand what you believe. I know what I believe. The control thing, right? But the reason behind it is so that we can teach people what to believe. Because Jesus isn't particularly interested in what you believe. He's very much interested in you following him. If you follow him, you'll believe what he believes. Right? Simple as that. I'm a Liverpool supporter. I follow Liverpool. And I believe Liverpool is the best team on the planet. Amen. Oh, okay. There's one lone Aston Villa fan in here. And God always has the evil spirit amongst us. To niggle at us. No, I'm kidding, Steve. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I know. But when I, you know, when you follow a team, everything goes into it. You are dressed like the team. You, you, you have the same emotion for the team. You have the same feelings when you lose, and all of this. And, and in a sense, Jesus is even more than that. I follow Jesus, and everything about me is Jesus. And boy, I can tell you, it's not. Had a big row yesterday with my family. Walk in here and everything's a mess. I'm a grumpy old man. Still love you. Oh, thank you, baby. <laughs> you always need that element of grace in your life, don't you? So I imagine it costs me nothing. Being a disciple is the question, how much are you prepared to give up to follow Jesus? That's actually a tough question. What are you prepared to give up for Jesus? I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. The challenge is yours, and it's uniquely yours, but it's also collective. We're all in the same boat. Um, a woman by the name of Karen Watson from Bakersfield, just down the road from Sacramento, around about, I don't know, a number of years ago now, she headed off, uh, gave up her life, uh, gave her life away to go follow Jesus as a missionary. She learned about water systems and building wells, and the first place she went to was Bosnia. She sold everything she had and went and worked in Bosnia for a number of years, planting, uh, drilling wells, 
And then the, the second war broke out with Iraq. So she went there as well with a group of four other people to drill uh, some water uh, wells in a, in a district of Mosul that had been devastated. And there was a school there that was running. They had to bring water in, so they were trying to make themselves sufficient. And she was gunned down by a drive-by shooting. All four of them were killed. And she'd left a letter with her pastor in Bakersfield. And she said, you know, I, I know what I'm doing is dangerous. I know what I'm doing might end up costing me my life. But I want you to read this out to the congregation and, 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 and let them know how, how I felt, right? Which is fantastic because the LA Times picked up on this. So it wasn't just in the church that this letter got out. It got out to, to a much wider audience. And she wrote this. She said, I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. It was to, but to obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. The missionary heart cares more than something is wise, risks more than something is faith, safe, dreams more than something is practical, expects more than something is possible. I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. That is one of the most powerful statements I have ever heard from a fellow believer. It humbles me. It, it hits me between the eyes. But the one thing I want to challenge on that is, why is it just reserved for the missionary heart? Why do we relegate this to, to just a few select people that we send out while our own communities are dying? While our own communities don't know about Jesus or the hope that there is in him? When we, as his people, are living quite a lovely life of comfort, and that's not always the case, I know that. It's difficult to. But we have hope, and it feels like we're guarding it for ourselves. When the early church started, there was a handful of them, and they managed to change the world. Today, apparently, there are two billion people who say they're a Christian, and how is the world not changed? Apparently, in the Wellington region, there are over a hundred churches. How is the Wellington region not changed? no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. Ronnie was just sharing a story yesterday that hit me last night. I'm sorry, Ron, I'm going to share a little bit of it. But her sister was out with, they were driving somewhere, I can't remember the details because the end of it was so shocking. But the, they were in a service station and a couple of cars pulled up and these kids were in the cars and they, they were just... Um, arguing amongst themselves or something, and one of the kids ran across the road to go talk to the people in the other car, and the semi-trailer just went straight through them. Boom, right in front of their eyes. Come on. Can't imagine what the kid, I mean, apparently they all, kids all took off, they were freaked out. Who knows what went on? There is a world that needs Jesus. And I'm not talking theology here, guys. I'm not talking about creation and how many days it was created. 
or whether we believe in dispensationalism or in predestination. I'm I'm talking about the hope that Jesus brings, that only he can bring. I was up until midnight talking with my daughter, who, who has had a hard time, my youngest, just getting engaging with church. And she got all defensive because one of her friends was bagging out Christianity. And she came in the room and we were talking about it. So she asked about other religions. And, and she, she pulled me up and she said, Christianity really cares about people, doesn't it? I said, yeah, sure. Because Jesus really cares about people. We're called to be many Christians, many Christs, Christianos. Many me's of Jesus who gave his life gave his life so that the world may be saved. Not to judge the world, but to bring about renewal, redemption, reconciliation, and love. Amen? Amen. So your challenge this week, how can you be more a mini-me of Jesus? How can you guys be more Christian. Don't look in the mirror and say, I'm not good enough. That's been resolved. Whether you think it or not, God thought you're good enough and that's enough. Okay? Let go. You are good enough. You are good enough for Jesus to die on a cross for you. It's good enough for him to give his life for you. So don't look in the mirror and knock yourself down or think you're not good enough because that's been resolved. The challenge for you is how do I take that next step as a follower, a mini-me of Jesus? Don't have to be a Karen Watson. Just take a step. That's your challenge this week. Wrestle with it, as Jacob did. Be challenged by it. Ask the music team to come up. I thought it would be a shorter sermon today, but I think I've gone a little bit longer than this. <laughs> so much for that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that the work of salvation is completely out of our hands. That you accept us for who, who we are, but you don't actually leave us there. You've called us to be disciples. Your great commission calls us to go make disciples. And Jesus, help us to let go of what needs to be let go in our lives those things that are holding us back, those things that are stopping us from being fully committed to you. Uh, for some of us here who struggle with what we see in the mirror, that you know, that you know how much you are loved. That even at our worst, he died for us. He died for you. Uh, and Wendy has written up on in her office, on the desk there, that quote. I can't remember the game, the guy who quoted it, but it said Oscar Wilde. I'm quoting Oscar Wilde in the sermon also, alongside Star Wars. <laughs> It says, uh, saints have a past, 
sinners have a future. <clears throat> Something along those lines. God wants to work with you, alongside you. He wants you to do it not alone, but with those around you. What step will you take this morning?